Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Healthy Christian Project. Today is a super exciting episode. I'm joined by Pastor Joe, Joe Jackson. He's a pastor in Community Baptist Church in Lansing, Michigan, if I'm not mistaken. Nice. And he's also got his PhD in clinical counseling. Correct? Christian counseling. Christian Christian counseling. So he also works as not only a pastor, but as a counselor. That is correct. Nice. So today we're actually going to be talking about his testimony. And to be honest, I'm not too, too familiar with it just yet, but that's why we're here. We're going to see how you came to find Jesus and how that changed your life. So I want to know, did you ever have a point in your life where you didn't have Jesus? You know, I grew up in a very Christian home. And uh, I grew up a pastor's kid. Um, my parents, uh, my grandparents on both sides were not Christians. Uh, neither grandparents were Christian, neither grandparents wanted to do anything with God. And both of them were in construction, amazingly enough. <laughs> and both of them, at different points in their life, someone invited them to church. And uh, my grandpa, my dad's side of the family, he was on his way to be a millionaire. This would be like 1950s, right? building homes all over the state of Michigan, really successful, uh, but his marriage wasn't working so great. Had two Mm. kids, third on the way, and his wife got invited out to church. She was a nightclub singer. Really? Yep, gets invited out to church, shows up at church, and hears the gospel and gets saved. And just a completely different person. My grandpa would tell the story, he said, yeah, your grandma comes in, and all of a sudden she's not singing, you know, you ain't nothing but a hound dog anymore. She's singing Amazing Grace, and she's washing the dishes. He said, and about a week later, the pastor comes to the house, and I, he said, I turn to the pastor, and I'm like, I don't know what you did to my wife, but I want it. She's happy. I'm not. I want that world. He became a Christian, and my dad's whole family then became Christians. My dad's, uh, my dad's, see, the four brothers, all four became pastors, and wow. my one aunt married a pastor. My other aunt married a deacon. They were all in faith. My mom's side of the family, uh, my grandpa and his wife, also nightclub. He was a nightclub bouncer. Um, and uh, oh, yeah, yeah. He carried a nine shot revolver in his back window for politicians and pastors. That was always, that was his like <laughs> life. And uh, drunk and construction, hard man. And uh, one day he got invited out to church. And uh, my grandmother was a Christian as a kid, but walked away from God. And they walked into uh-huh. church, became Christians. And my mom said, she said, I remember my grandpa came home, her dad came home. And she said, I'm scared because, you know, he'd come home. If it was late at night, he's drunk. Mm. So it better block the bedroom doors. Better be careful. What did you do? And so also I hear all the alcohol just crazy in the other room. I'm like, oh, no, it's going to be a bad night. So I come home. My grandpa was a mean drunk, poured out all the alcohol. So I can't, wow. I can't deal with this anymore. I became a Christian. He said, I'm done. So that Sunday we went to church. And we'd never gone to church. And my grandpa told me, said, I said, every Saturday a pastor would visit me. And it just made me mad. He said, until I became a Christian, I learned the value of God. So I grew up in, my parents were devout Christians. My dad was a pastor. Um, when I was four years old, he planted the church I work currently at. In fact, my oh, dad's wow. still here. So it's like yeah. a family church. It, it is. It is. I grew up here at this church, which is always amazing. Like, this is a side note. You got to think the people of this church either really have great faith in God or are crazy. Because they watched me grow up, and they hired me. Like, like, could you imagine that? Like, sitting there going, oh, listen, you know, we, we knew this kid when he was 10. 
and we're now going to trust him for our spiritual well-being. I'm like, this is the proof of the grace of God. Uh, but yeah, the, my parents came. They started the church when uh, I, was, I think I was four years old. It's about 32 years ago, coming up on 33 now. And they started the church, and we grew up here in Lansing, uh, the west side of Lansing. There wasn't as many good style of our faith side of churches. And mm-hmm. uh, grew up in the church, grew up doing all the different things, helping in junior church, all the things. I was four years old that first year. Uh, a special speaker came to our church, and we were renting a local uh, school, and we were in the library. And I'm sitting in the library as a four-year-old watching this special speaker get up and preach. And uh, David Sproul was his name. And uh, David he spoke on the reality of hell. Interesting. And I remember, and I remember sitting there as a four-year-old. And I'm there thinking, and I always tell people later, like, you know, this is probably not the sermon most people would have thought would have worked for a four-year-old. But for me, as a four-year-old, that was it. It, just, it just clicked. And he's talking about what hell is and how that God did not make hell for me. Mm. And I remember sitting there going, okay. And I think I got in trouble earlier that day, so I knew I was a bad person. I think I'd stolen a cookie or something. So I'm like, I'm a horrible, rotten person. Despicable. Despicable. I know. <laughs> Just, I remember sitting there, and I remember at the end of the thing, he said, if any of you want to become a Christian, come forward. And I'm like, I'm getting up. And my mom's like, sit back down. I'm like, I'm getting up. I'm like, sit back down. Like, mom's like, you're not getting up. Sit down in your seat and behave. I'm like, no, Why? I want to go forward. My mom's like, no, no, we'll talk about this in a little bit. And I'm crying in the church because my mom didn't understand why I'm trying to get up. She, she thinks you were like, trying to cause some uh, scene or yeah, be a ruckus. I have to go to the bathroom or something. I'm like, no, mom, I want to go to heaven. And she's like, you're going to sit down right now and be quiet. And like, <laughs> this day, like, before my mom passed away, we would always like joke about the sea. We went home. My dad and mom walked me through the Bible, says, this is what you believe. Do you believe that Jesus Christ came? Do you believe that he died? Do you believe he died for your sin? And I said, yes, I do. I want, I don't want to go to hell. I believe in God. I want to go to heaven. And so I asked Jesus Christ to be my savior that day as a four-year-old boy. Uh, never doubted it. Went on the rest of my life. Got baptized about a year later, and and at that then, point you became great. the pastor. Yeah, pretty much. You know, about five was when I took. Oh, no, I'm <laughs> no, 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 no. I taught. I, I, I said, I taught my first kids lesson at ten. I wow. did song leading around eleven, and then started working. I took my taught my actual first class where it was just mine when I was like seventeen years old, and just loved it. Uh, really thought I'd be a music guy, love music more than anything else. But uh, when I became high school age, I was kind of debating. I, I got a lot of health issues when I was later in high school. Mm. Uh, got diagnosed with degenerative arthritis. Went from being captain of the high school basketball team to a wheelchair, multiple Really? Surgery. It was that bad? That bad. I had to have full foot rebuilds on both of my feet. They had taken an inch of bone out of both of my feet. Had oh, wow. eight weeks where I couldn't walk. Uh, just, I mean, you know, and, and, you know, as you can imagine, junior in high school, you're, you know, captain of your team, right? You're great. Senior in high school, you're sitting in a wheelchair. I mean, you know, nothing. It, it, but I look back on it, and truly, I, I can say this, it was the grace of God. Because mm. through it all, if I never had that problem, how would I know God could solve them? It changed who I was. It made me into the person who really enjoys life, who finds the joy in the small things. Not that I didn't before, but when you don't know if you're going to fall over when you take a step, when you have to walk with a cane, and then you can go like this. I played soccer with my kids this Saturday. I get to coach the team. You get to do that, right? Now, I'm not saying it's not without pain. (laughs) There's pain. But to be able to do that, to be able to go bike riding, and, and to be able to have that life where you get to sit there and say, it's a gift. 
today's a gift. It's such a gift. It's such a blessing to be able to go from that to that and have that mind flip where it's not, I deserve this to, no, thank God I get to have You have this. the ability to do this. So and do you ever so think, cool. do you ever think that God allowed you to go through something like that in order to be constantly comparing and be in that state of gratefulness? I, I would say you're 100% right. I believe that God looked at my life and said, unless I put you through this fire, you know, that, that the Bible talks about that, the trying by fire. And it talks mm-hmm. about that in Psalm 12, talks about that in the New Testament, I think in Hebrews. And that, that trial that God put me through, unless God put me through that trial, I would not be able to be used of God. Because before that, I mean, don't know, I still deal with pride to this day, but you know, would you have to have your mom help you get in and out of a shower as a high school boy, it's right? very humbling. Oh, it's, it's ridiculous. Like I said, when you're using crutches to walk, right? You know, when you have to have special orthotic shoes. I mean, your know, shoes are everything for a high schooler. Even even us. I mean, we're not. Okay, we're old. But we're not that old. Um, <laughs> it's still cool. When you have to wear certain types of shoes, when you have to walk differently, when you have to, when you have to readjust how you think about life it then humbles your heart to realize, okay, this is a gift and you have a choice. You're going to become bitter or better. And so by the grace mm. of God, there came a moment where I sat there and said, okay, Lord, I'm, I remember the moment where I'm sitting there yelling at God in the stairwell of my house. God, I hate you. I can't believe you did this to me. There's no one else in the house. I'm in the stairwell. I just hit my foot, which, you know, is that sounds a- painful at that point. Well, Oh, and I'm just like so angry with God. And, and I remember that statement that, you know, God talks to Moses, who hath made man's mouth. And that verse is popping in my head. I'm like, God, I don't want to hear your verses right now. I just want to complain. <laughs> and God's like, no, I want you to hear this. You didn't have to have the ability to walk. I hmm. gave that to you. Do you want to take advantage of the gifts I've given you, or do you want to complain about the things you think you've lost? Wow. And I'm just going to go, oh, okay, God, you know what? I'm going to start thank you. So as someone always say, you've heard that illustration before. Someone says, have you thanked God for your, your toes today? Yes, I do. <laughs> you <laughs> genuinely do. Genuinely do, because I've lived where I'm like, oh, oh, it hurts so bad. And so to get through those different things, to be able to get that thankfulness, because it is. It's a gift. It's such a gift. And not a lot of people can see the gift in the simple everyday things. But it sounds yeah. like you going through this this trial, you have kind of opened your eyes to experience the simple things like the fact that you can see, the fact that yeah. you can breathe, the fact that you can walk. How much walking is taken for granted? Oh, yeah. So every day when it, the weather's nice. I live in Michigan, so during the winter, not so much. But every day in the summer, I take a walk during my lunch break. And I go and walk outside. And I remember one day I had someone come by and said, I thought you said you deal with foot pain. Wouldn't walking be counterproductive? I said, yes, I deal with foot pain. But there's going to come a day when it might be gone again. Hmm. And so today, I'm going to thank God yeah, what if your blessings come through raindrops, right? So God, I'm going to thank God for the rain. I'm going to thank God for this because the pain reminds me that there was a day when the pain was worse. Today, I can actually walk. Today, I can do this. Today, I can, you know, I can speak today. I can talk. Those things like that, those gifts are gifts that, man, I wish I would have spent the first half of my life being thankful for them 
and be thankful instead of being, to be honest, a self-centered jerk. Looking mm-hmm. at God going, God, why don't you, you know, God, couldn't you make me a little taller? God, couldn't you make me a little bit more of this? Instead of going, thank you, God, that I get any of this. I think that mindset shift is so important because even me, I'm, I'm going about my day. Oh, it's raining today. Oh, I can't do this. <laughs> I can't do that. Oh my gosh, yeah. my I, like I have a headache. All these little things that we love complaining about. But you're talking about how because you've been through that trial, shifting that mindset that instead of looking at the little things that we complain about, looking instead at the bigger things that we can be thankful but we're blinded to. How has yes. that made an impact on your life? You know, I think it really has changed so much of of the way you just look at the world and perspective of the world that God's given you. Um, you know, five years ago, it'll be, it's coming up on five years ago, two weeks from now, my mom passed away. Um, mm, my mom sorry to hear that. Was a, my mom was a wonderful lady of God. Uh, so I grew up with wonderful parents. Uh, you know, and I talk with people, and, and people will often tell me, you know, you don't understand the gift you had in your parents. And I would agree. I, I really don't. You don't understand the value you have that I didn't grow up with abusive parents. I didn't grow up with parents who I appreciate who loved me to death. And I grew up with this wonderful world and a wonderful support of mom, a support of dad, who, you know, every day I could come into the living room and they'd be reading their Bible and they, they lived who they were in the background was who they were up front. And that's a gift I have. But you know, like I said, five years ago, about six years ago, it really started about probably a decade ago, but six years ago, we really started to know something was wrong with my mom. And my mom mm-hmm. was just like, something's not right. Just, just, just not there. And I remember uh, it was my parents' anniversary. My parents' anniversary is a, a thing we'd all go out and we'd all go fishing. It was my dad's favorite thing. My mom loved to drive the boat, and my dad loves to go fishing. And so we'd all go on the boat. And my mom, I remember we we're getting off the boat. And my mom couldn't walk, and she's just something's wrong. Just like it's just wrong. And like we're getting her to the car, and I'm like helping my mom, and she's just very, ups- very upset, very hurt by what's going on. She, I can't figure this out. Multiple doctors, no one can figure out, shows up at the hospital one day, and the, the nurse at the hospital is a, is a lady who my mom had helped at a, as a little girl. Oh, had wow. Her out, That's had amazing. Been a counselor to her, had been her pastor's wife, and the lady's just crying. And when she comes back and said, We just got the test back. Sorry, it's brain cancer. Brain cancer. There's nothing we can do. You know, your life is done. And my mom was, No, there's, why are you crying? Why you don't you know, get? I I have Jesus. I get to go to heaven. You just told me I get to go see my Savior, and, and that world right of watching that—that's the personality world that I had as an example, and being able to live that world. Where then I got to see my mom pass away with grace. Not saying that she wasn't sad. Not saying that she wasn't heartbroken. That she was gonna. She she said, you know, I'm not gonna get to watch my grandchildren go old. I'm not gonna get to grow old with my husband. But being able to live that world where seeing that happen then. So when my mom passed away, people always ask, like, I sang at my mom's funeral, and I'm talking to people, and I'm happy. And they're like, well, how are you happy? My mom's in heaven. So your mom essentially lived out the verse, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And there it is. You, you nailed it, man. I was trying to think of that verse. I could not put it out of my head. Thank you. Like, dude, we should do this more often. Like, like listen, you just finish all the sentences I completely forget to say. It's better. We had a, and she <laughs> That's did. So funny. And she lived that world. And like I told people, you know, my mom... My wife and I had a miscarriage, and uh, right about the time my mom got sick, and uh, so you know, we often said that you know we never got to hold our child, but my mom did, and you know, mm. so you know, there, there's a there's a blessing in this world of being able to sit there and say, every day's a gift, 
everything that we have is a blessing. And it just, it really does, it makes you happier. I really live a very happy life. And, uh, you know, people say, well, yo, your mom died. Sad God took your mom. I said, wait a second. No, no. My mom was never mine in the beginning. She was always God's. She was always a gift from God to me. Mm. And who am I to complain? I'm going to get to spend all of eternity with my mom. I just don't get to see her now. She's pain-free. She doesn't have to deal with traffic anymore. What a blessing. Yeah, that right? Right there, man, you know? So just the gift that God gives. So it, it does change how you think. It helped me out in life. It helped me focus and think differently. And it's helped me be a better counselor. As I think when I counsel people, most of the time I find that most of the reasons why we are upset at life is truly we are sitting there and we are complaining about what we believe is ours. And I think someone said it best, when you hold your hands tight like this, you hold on to what you have, but you can never get anything more. And it's only mm. when you open up your hands that you can be given more. And you can hold more with open hands. And I think That's so many true. times we hold so tightly, this is mine, I have to have it. Instead of looking at God going, God, I'm opening my hands up. I might lose something from my hands, but I can only get more with my hands open. So, Amen. Yeah, I have a question for you. Sure, hit me. I want to backtrack a little bit because you talked about your life as a 10-year-old. What, what, what happened as a 10-year-old that, that made your church see you, I guess, in a different light? And then you know you came as to a pastor and they, they were happy to have you. So what was your life as a, as a despicable 10-year-old? Uh, you know, this is the thing. So like, um, I didn't really talk till I was four. I was a very quiet child. And then when I was about four or five, I started talking and I never shut up. And I know like that's shocking now, right? Like, like you can tell from this podcast so far, I'm a very quiet, mellow person, mm. obviously. Mm. No I'm asking all the questions. You're not giving me any, your one word answers. <laughs> yeah, I know. And so listen, so, you know, as a kid, as a 10 year old through high school, most of the time. Wait, 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 wait. You were 10 in high school? No, 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 no. As a 10 year old through high school. Oh, I'm like you're a child genius. No, no, I am not a genius. Let's clarify this. I have a 137 IQ. That's three points short of genius. I cannot get those final <laughs> three points. I have tried. Just so, I, I mean, you know, I, I am smart, but I'm just a little short. So I'm just three points dumb a genius. But no, mm, as a kid, so you know, as a 10-year-old, you know, a little bit of a know-it-all, a lot of bit of a know-it-all. Um, and I would, but I was a good kid. I really was a good kid in high school. Most people would say I was a good kid, but as the Bible says, I was um, dead man's bones wrapped in, a, in new clothes. Mm. And I was this person who was good on the outside, like the Pharisees, I was the whited wall. I read my Bible, I sang the songs, I led the singing, I taught lessons. But inside, I think there's a great statement by, I think it's J.R. Packard wrote it. Um, there's a difference between knowing about God and knowing, and knowing God. God. And I knew all about God. And I knew how to live the right way. I knew how to live. So most of the time, I did all the stuff on the outside. But on the inside, man, I was a seething mess. But I knew there was expectations. I'm a pastor's kid. You better behave. I mean, people are, you know, people are expecting you live in a glass house. Rusty Riggs, a friend of mine, he wrote a book called Through Walls of Glass about the life that pastor's kids grow up in where you live in this glass house. And so you did. So you live in this world where people are constantly you know, looking in on your world. So you, you have to behave. 
But on the inside, man, you, I resented it. And then my parents were just, they were, they were perfect. I mean, they weren't perfect, but they were. My brother was the perfect older sibling. My, my brother could do anything. My brother taught himself the piano in like six months. I mean, literally just- Are you the younger sibling? I am the younger sibling, yes. Uh. I'm the baby of the family. And so, you know, my brother's like doing all this stuff, you know, and I, I, I'm a plotter by nature. So my world works by me just consistently going on. I just keep going like the little engine that could, except I'm not so little. And I just keep moving forward in life. And so this is me and dealing with those things and then not having a healthy way to express them. My parents would constantly ask, hey, what's going on? And I would say, I'm fine. And my parents were like, no, you're not fine. We, you need to talk about it. And I just refuse to talk about it. So I'm about probably 14, maybe 16 years old. I just blew it. I mean, I just blew up and I'm just, I, I'm, I'm at home. I'm yelling at my, at my mom and I'm yelling at my brother. I'm, you know, trying and my dad's like, whoa, we are not doing this. And like, they're trying to help me get this figured out. What is with this, you know, this kid who's pretty happy. And that's when the the sickness hit me mm. where all of a sudden degenerative arthritis hits and I just crashed and my body just gave out on me. And I do believe in that, the connection between the mind and the soul and the body. And I do believe that it was this mental double personality I'd created affected every part of me. And the Bible talks about it in the book of Psalm 103, heal all thy soul's diseases. And it just affected me all the way across. And I go to the doctor and my doctor's like, Joey, if you have degenerative arthritis, your body's falling apart. And now I'm angry. And so, and then you can only hold this double life so long. All of a sudden you start seeping out and then uh, I'm not It all singing. falls apart. It does. And then I'm, you know, I'm angry. And then it just came a day. Finally, I remember it. I'm sitting at home and I'm sick again. I'm miserable. And I, I turn on, uh, someone sent me like a CD or something like that of a sermon about being grateful for God. And I'm like, I don't want to listen to that. <laughs> like, you know, like, 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 why would you do this to me? And I turned it on and it was by Clarence Sexton. He's a pastor in uh, Powell, Tennessee. And I'm listening to this sermon on it. And he just told me, I said, you know, he said, there's, there's some young people out there and you are angry at God. You're, you're, you're mad at your parent. You're mad at the life you have. He said, and you've been hiding it so long and it's making you sick. And I'm like, who told him? Like, you know, like, <laughs> you know, you know, okay, this is why they sent me the CD. They told him, but anyway, he didn't, of course, he didn't know who I am. Mm -hmm. He has no, he, you know, he never has learned this. And so at the end of that thing, I get right with God and I, you know, change my personality. And the people of the church, they, they, they laugh about it. The people who knew me back then said, yeah, I said, you could just tell that next Sunday you came in and the old Joe who was, you know, the 10, 12 year old who was smiling, always singing was back and you were singing through the pain now. And just because mm. you get right, doesn't mean that the pain disappears. The punishments that I talk about, the, the, the things I lost because of those things. I still had to deal with those things. And every once in a while, I, I, I tell people, I'll get to the, uh, I'll get a little haughty. You know, my uh, hubris will come back in my life a little bit. Mm. And I find it often is at that moment that all of a sudden, maybe it's, maybe it's psychosomatic. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit. I have yet to figure it out. All of a sudden, I'll have a twinge in my left foot. 
And I'll be like, okay, Lord, Lord, I'm good. Promise, Lord. Like, I am right yeah, now. Yeah, no, I'm okay. I'm good. I, I, Forgive I promise, me. Lord, whatever I need to fix right now, I don't think you're bringing this to my body. I think it's my mind reminding myself, right, that, that mind-body pain. Hey, you know what? Remember what happened the last time you did this? It cost you more than you were willing to pay. And so I made that. I'm never going to go down that road again. Let's, let, let, let's follow God. Let's be happy. And, you know, it did. I went off to Bible college. I got my uh, bachelor's in biblical theology and evangelism. Nice. I got my master's in uh, biblical uh, teaching and religious education. And then I waited for a couple years. Um, I, I, I graduated college single. I dated a girl for a couple years, didn't work out. Dated another girl, didn't work out. And then um, met my wife, the best part of my life by far. Uh, my wonderful wife, Kyla Jackson. And uh, my wife, just a sweetheart. And we knew each other. I, she stole my crayons in kindergarten. Like, we were in nursery together as a kid. Wow. You've known each other a long time. Yeah. We, we, her parents took over the ministry that my parents were running at the church. They left to start our church. And oh, so we okay. knew each other. So, like, we knew each other for, like, four months. And then I moved away. And then we'd, like, see each other every once in a while. But we barely talked. She did not like me when I was, like, 22. Uh... Uh, her pastor recommended that I was single and she should date me. And her mom and her both said under no circumstance would they So why? Why? Be because of who I was. Because of who I was is that sometimes the person I was before God allowed these health challenges to hit my life, where I could be this arrogant, proud young man, that is very turning off to a person who loves God. And to a person who loves God and wants to follow God, to see this young man who's very cocky, who's very, you know, I have all this, I have all the answers, right? That dry, it, it, it repels them. And so Definitely. to my wife, no, I'm not going to, she didn't know me. She, she didn't see me in four years. And so then, you know, a couple years later, I uh, help out her brother randomly. We, we end up at the exact same retreat and I'm a counselor there. And a year before someone had given me a card of just someone to pray for in their youth group. And it was her brother. And I didn't know it was her brother. And so I've been praying for this young man for about a year. And he comes forward at the end of the thing to get right with God. And I'm talking to him. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. And he's like, hey, this is my name. My name's Kellen. I'm like, what's your last name? And he says, Farnham. I said, dude, I, 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 I've been praying for you for a year. He's like, you're <laughs> kidding. I'm like, no, I'm sorry. I've been praying for you for a year. And so we started talking. We became friends. A couple months later, I end up at an event. He's talking to me. We're talking to me, and I'm behind him, like over his shoulder, right? I mm -hmm. see the most beautiful young lady I'd ever seen, and she's at this event. Everyone else is talking to her, and she's setting up the event, and she's just working. And I love people who work, and she's just working like a crazy person. I mean, the biblical example of Ruth just, I mean, outrunning. Or Proverbs 31. What? <laughs> Proverbs, Proverbs 31? That's another yes, one. Yes, right there. And my wife is, you know, there's three other girls supposed to be helping her. And my wife is running circles around them. Wow. That's just my wife. That says a lot about her character already. Oh, yes. And I'm sitting there and I'm like looking and I'm like, you know, you know, you're supposed to, I'm supposed to be talking to this young man, helping this young man. But to be totally honest, <laughs> you're distracted. I remember, I very little remember from this conversation. I'm watching her, her over the shoulder, over his shoulder. I'm watching her, and then her, his mother comes over, which is my, now my mother-in-law. She's talking to me. And all of a sudden in this conversation... I don't remember if it was my brother-in-law or my mother-in-law, future to be right. They said, hey, have you met my daughter, my sister? And I said, I, I don't think so. I said, which one is she? And they point her, and I'm like, I would love to. 
absolutely would love to. And they invite her over, and my wife's like, no, she's not having anything to do about it. She remembered who I was, and she's like, no, no one's setting me up on this thing. And so she's just like, nice to meet you. Hi, glad you helped my brother. You know, go away. That was the kind of the feel <laughs> I got. And so later that day, I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get this right, right. And, you know, I, I got this. I walk up to her. She'd made a dessert. I tried the dessert. So I'm going to go tell her the dessert was great. I'm going to ask her out on a date. It's going to work. It's going to be great. It'll work. Walk up to her. I called her her sister's name. No. Yes. I did this. Like, walked into her sister and her have very similar names. It's Kayla and Kyla. And I walked up to her and I said, I said, hey, Kayla, great job on the cake. And she goes, Actually, my name is Kyla, but thank you. And I literally, oh, like, I'm done. No. I'm oh, done. No. I said, great job. I literally gave her a high five, walked <laughs> into the next room, walked in the next room where there's a concrete wall, and hit my head on the concrete wall saying, idiot, 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 idiot. Not knowing there's a bunch of girls in the room watching me do this. I didn't, like, I'm that completely. <laughs> they're like, are you okay? I'm like, no, I'm an idiot. What don't you like? <laughs> and uh, were you not later, listening? Yeah, like, 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 girls, like, literally, I'm an idiot. I'm hitting my head against a wall, going, idiot. Like, like, what don't you get about this? Like, I'm an idiot. <laughs> a week later, we became friends uh, and like social media, and like we talked, and I asked her out on a date, and she said yes. Still to this day, I don't know why she said like. She's like, I really don't know why I said yes either. She's like, that was I the grace of God. Of there it is. I said, this, it's, it was God. You know, some people sit there and say, you know, the greatest gift God ever gave me is my spouse. I would say that is true for me. My question is, what did my wife do wrong? Because she has to be suffering some sort of punishment from God because he gets stuck with me. And so something happened where like she did something and like God's like, this is your judgment. You get Joe. And that's, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Yeah, no. So, you know, I took her out. I, I really think, though, the reason why she said yes to the date was I found out she was a huge Yankee fan. My wife loves the oh. Yankees. And I, I, I'm a Yankee hater. Like, I'm a Boston Red Sox Tiger fan. Like, so I hate the Yankees. Um, so, so there was a little I bit of tension up. throughout this uh, relationship. Oh, dude, like, it was great. So our first date was I said, because, like, I'm sold. Like, I know who this girl is. Like, she's it. I just have to convince her. And so I said, I'm going to listen. I'm going to invite you on a date. I'm going to buy us tickets to go to a Tigers game. And she was so concerned about how the relationship goes. She said, well, is it okay if my parents come? It's perfectly fine. I'll glad that, like, I'm willing to cross any bridge to get this girl. So I bought third row seats from the first baseline for wow. this game. I'm like, you like, invested. Like, you invested. Like, like, I'm like, this girl's it. Like, like, I got one shot here. Like, I have to overcome calling her her sister's name to... Do, <laughs> it's it a good first impression. Yeah, like, great first impression. Like, it showed me once again the deep amount of grace that God gave my wife. Because um, you'd have to have that. to be. But also, to it sounds like a humbling experience for you that you had to go through there, which knocks you off of your pride and arrogance again. Yeah, and that's, as I said, the Lord has often given me exactly what I need. And the unfortunate part is I often don't want it. And mm. the Lord has a great way of sitting there going, this is exactly what you need. You need this right now. I mean, because he's I faithful to his word. He says that yep. he'll supply you with all your needs. Yes, and I, as I, I believe like Gideon, if I would have walked up and told my wife, hey, Kyla, 
and she would have said yes, and it would have worked. To this day, in the back of my mind, my hubris would have made me say, I got her. Mm. But to this day, I can't say that. And anytime I tell the story, everyone sits there and goes, grace of God, great wife. Because there's nothing good. And there is none good. There is none righteous. There is none that seeketh after God. There is none that doeth good. The Bible tells us that. But my mind wants to think, yeah, I'm pretty good. Yeah, I'm, I'm three points short of genius. I mean, that's, I'm in the top 3% of all humanity. I have to be incredibly smart. But listen, I ran through a running car wash once, which that's for a completely another day story. Yeah. But yeah, Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah no, if you want, we'll do it. But yeah, that's like my wife. When I married my wife and she heard me tell that in a sermon, she said, listen, wherever you go and preach a sermon, that has to be your opening series illustration. She said, because it helps people realize that even someone who's really, really smart can do incredibly stupid things. And I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. it's true. Cause, and that is the thing. Sometimes we think because someone looks a certain way or acts some way, they have a PhD, they never have trials, they never struggle with things, they never do anything dumb. No, that's life. You can be incredibly smart and still choose to be incredibly dumb. Well, that's knowledge and wisdom, right? Yes, sir. Just because you have all the knowledge in the world doesn't mean you know how to use it. Yes, and that has often, unfortunately, been me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, just that world you work with. So it sounds like throughout both your marriage, but also your life before marriage, you've gone through many trials, whether that's the yeah. degenerative arthritis or the uh, the miscarriage, your mother's passing. What have been the hardest trials, but also the ones that you found the grace of God meet you where you're at? I would think, you know, 1 Corinthians 15, 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace stowed upon me is not in vain, but I labor more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which is within me. I think that's, that's been my life verse. I found that verse when I was going through probably some of the roughest times of just pain. Uh, you know, all my college years, it hurt to walk. And, you know, living that world of going from being very active to not active was really difficult. Um, when COVID struck, and I talked to you about this a little bit earlier, um, I, uh, you know, COVID came, my, my mom had passed away the year before. And so, you know, um, we're going through the different things. My wife had some different health issues. And so I remember like my dad got COVID first and my wife got COVID right about the same time. So we don't know who <laughs> wow. got it first, my dad or my wife. And I remember talking with the doctor and the doctor's like, listen, you take care of your dad. You know, your dad's a widow now. You know, my dad's, my dad's pretty healthy, but you know, he's older than me. He's in that age where it could be a problem. Like you take care of him, you take care of your wife. She's had some health issues, you know, it's a, and Joe, when you get it, you'll be fine. I'm like, okay, great. Sure. Good. Like, great. <laughs> And my dad gets it, and like two days later, my dad's completely back to normal. Like, you know, oh, wow. fine. Good. God, Great. That's amazing. So my wife gets it. It was like it's hunting season, which in Michigan, huge. We're big hunters. And so we had to miss hunting season, which, you know, was just like devastating my wife. That was, I think, the worst part of the first thing of COVID was she lost her sense of taste and she missed hunting season. Those were her two, like, the biggest trials in your marriage. Right there. My wife's like, like we can't go hunting. I'm like, I'm like listen, like, you know, we're, we're fighting the worst pandemic in 100 years. And this was the, th- the two things. Like, she said, coffee tasted terrible to her. I'm like, coffee always tastes terrible. I'm not a coffee guy. So, you know, coffee and me, no. And so, I what are you? Wife, what do you just drink? Water? Water and tea. I love tea. Uh, you're a tea uh, guy. I'm a tea guy. But listen, let's just ask this question Does the world really want to see me caffeinated? I mean, you've only, we've only done this conversation. I mean, this much energy for like half an hour. Good question. 
Yeah, like, like think what I would be on caffeine. So, like, no, no, ca- caffeine, no, don't do it. Don't do coffee. I don't like the taste of it. Love tea. I like my uh, peach ginger tea I had last night. Delicious. My lemon ginger tea I had this morning. Awesome. You know, giant, you know, 30 ounces of Yeti cup water every hour helps me out. Yeah, you got to stay hydrated. That's super important. It is. But, yeah, no, I'd say so. They're fine. And then I get the first symptoms of COVID. And I'm like, okay, I'm like, yeah, okay, great. You know, my wife, it was my wife's birthday when I came down with COVID, which is like four days after she came down with it. I get the first symptom, I'm like, okay, I don't feel great, fine. And then the next day, it just nailed me. And I went from being like, oh, I don't feel well to I'm going to die. And literally. It got that bad. I got that bad. I ended up in the hospital. I, I am literally dehydrated. I have lost, in 10 days, I lost 20 pounds. I couldn't eat. I couldn't drink. I couldn't keep fluid down. When I went to the hospital, the, uh, I would say, probably the grace of God, what's it? The grace of God is always good. The doctor I got the first time was perfect for me. He's a bodybuilder, right? Huge, this massive of a man, right? And he's standing, he looks at me, he's like, uh, uh, Mr. Jackson, uh, let me just make this clear to you, sir. Um, you are not going to die. I said, great, I said, but you're going to feel like you're going to die for the next three days. I'm like, no, that's, that, 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 that's, that's not, not great. That's not, he's like, listen, he said, if it was any other time, we would keep you in the hospital, but I have no room for you. So I'm going to send you home and you're going to try to not die. So you need to check your oxygen this meter. sounds so dramatic. Oh, oh, this is like, I'm like, someone like, I'm sorry, what? He's like, listen, if you were five years older, we would keep you. If your oxygen level was one degree lower, we would keep you, but we can't. There's no room. We need this room for the next person. So you're going to go home, and you're going to try to not die. I'm going to like, man up and just not die. He's like, listen. He's like, listen. He's like, think about it. And you just think of protein. And you do. I'm like, protein. I don't think about protein. Like this guy's like, you know, his arm is the size of my leg. And you know, like, like, and he's like, sort of like, listen. You can do this. I'm like, no, I can't do this. Like, I feel miserable. And I went home. And I'm like trying to like truly not die. Like mm-hmm. I'm I, I'm playing the song Lord Stay Close to Me, and I'm literally sitting thinking like Lord just just don't leave me. And my my mom my 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 mom my wife's dad died when my wife was about when my when I my wife's dad was my age, and my yeah. wife's dad had a peanut allergy. It was tragic. He ate a donut, and it was it was laced with peanuts, and he didn't know it. And my wife sat on the front porch, held her dad's hand as he's passing away as like a seven-year-old kid. And so my wife is watching me at the same age her dad passed away. In the other room, my son's the same age as my wife was. And my wife's like, you can't die on me. I said, the worst trial I think I've ever had, not me getting sick, was looking at my wife going, there's nothing I can do, honey. Like, I got nothing for you. Three days later, I think it was Thanksgiving Day. I'm so sick. I've lost so much. They send me back to the emergency room. They keep me for basically like a whole day. Once again, there's no room for me. They said, Joe, we think you're at the tail end of it. They said, but, you know, we're going to try a couple things. They, they gave me liters and liters of fluid. They put me through. They said, oh, no, you have double pneumonia. Your lungs are not working right. You are in trouble. They said, but we can't keep you. We're going to send you home again. And if you get worse, come back. And then it was the next four or five months of me just 
struggling through and like, you know, learning that, you know, I couldn't do what I once did and then getting, I got COVID long-term or long, long haulers or long-term COVID now. So, you know, going from the guy who was always energetic to all of a sudden I just have these drops, which is super weird where I'll be healthy and happy. And then all of a sudden my voice just goes, Boop. no voice mm. as a pastor, no voice that you can't, you can't live that way. <laughs> um, as <clears throat> I mean, as you can a, write a book. You, you can write a book, which is, you know, it's a good thing to do. That's a good thing to do. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> but, you know, you can sit there and do these different worlds, and then you all of a sudden realize, okay, it has to be the grace of God. I have to be good with the life God's given me. And then I have to be okay that I'm not who I once was. But I'm who God made me to be for this time of my life. And that's the new realization I've had to live with in this last... I would say was, I mean, now three years come up on three years now, two and a half years now of living this, where all of a sudden I have to go, okay, yeah, you know, I can go speak at a conference like I used to, but when I'm done, man, I'm toast. I, I got to take You're a done. day off. I, I, I'm, I'm exhausted. Before, yeah, I could run, I could be the plotter who could keep going, but I, I wouldn't crash. Now I crash and I'm like, oh, yep, yep, we're, we're, we're going to take a break now. <laughs> but I also think we underrate how much we need rest in our own lives. Sometimes God allows things like this to happen to remind us, like, you're not invincible. You need to rest. Yes. Someone did a really good podcast on that the other day. It was really good. I'd highly recommend that people listen to this podcast I listened to by a friend of mine. And he did it on, the, what was it called? Rest? Something? Rest? The value of rest? Something like that? Mm, is, it really, is it really necessary? Yes, it's very necessary. And I would say that is something that definitely I think God has put in my life. And my wife told me this. I do believe, Joe, God brought this in your life to make you stop to make you look at the world differently and because of that you know i mean like like you said i through this that's when i got my phd i started having to breathe and actually having to focus recently and, yeah i got my p i graduated my phd uh 2021 is when i got my phd mm, wow and so i studied all the way through got all different things through that i got to write a book got to get my book published and through that world, you know, got to help other people in a world I never would have helped other people in if this wouldn't have happened. So once again, God knew better. He knew best. I was just too, I think often like Elijah, I look at the world and go, I'm waiting for God to thunder. I'm waiting for God to shoot some fireball, right? And... God does come in thunder. God does come in fireballs. God does come through storms. But sometimes, and most importantly, most of the time, it's the still small voice of God. And I Quiet. have to listen to that. And I often have too much noise, too much of this other stuff that I don't listen to it. So since I don't listen to it, God's like, okay, I'm going to help you listen. I'm going to quiet everything. And now you have to listen to me. And it helps. So... It does. And I think, you know, based on what you just told me about your story, it, it seems like this is something I, I've recently been learning as well, is that we think we're in charge of our own stories and we want to be in charge of our own stories. We want to write everything yeah. that happens to us the way we want it, the way we set out as if we're great authors. But yeah. at the end of the day, who is the best author? It's not ourselves. It's God. The author so letting the finisher of our faith. Exactly. So allowing him to be the author of our lives, he's going to write a much better story than anything we can come up with. Agreed. 
Agreed. And I don't want to let him write. That's the problem. I want to control. I want to be controlling and then I have to sit there and go, okay, God, my life is yours to control. Mm. I give it over to you and I choose to trust him. The Bible talks about that in the book of Psalms. You know, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and delivered him out of all of his trials. And the problem is, I do not want to trust him because I don't want to take my hand off the wheel because the wheel gives me confidence. The problem is I'm a bad driver. I'm a bad writer mm-hmm. and I'm a bad driver and I need to let God take those things. Amen. So let's backtrack a little bit. You you wrote a book during your PhD? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So actually, I have a copy with me here. Uh, Helping a Starving Soul is the book I wrote. I wanted to get into counseling. Um, I realized when I graduated Bible college and I had my master's and my bachelor's, I, I did a little bit of, I almost had a counseling minor. It was one of the minors I was looking at getting at one point. And I often tell people, I said, listen, the part of Bible college I didn't realize is one, if I would have known how many times I would have set up chairs and clean buildings and stuff, I would have asked that they give me more classes on that. And I also would have asked that they gave me more classes on counseling because counseling is such a big deal. And mm-hmm. so I remember I told you, I remember sitting, sitting in this office, the office I'm working in right now, and I had one of the young people in my youth group, actually had multiple happen within like a two-year period, come and say, I've been raped. What do I do? What, what Pastor, what do I do? I'm sort of thinking like, Okay. What do yeah. I say? Uh, yeah. What, 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 what do I say now to these wonderful kids who I've watched growing up, right? It's no fault of their own. Someone has taken advantage of them. And there, there's a lot of legal things. That thankfully, I did know because our church had those things in there so we can go contact the police, do all those mandatory reporting things. But then how do you help that person heal? And so that, well, I need help. So I went out and I got started in my PhD. And so I got I wanted to get a PhD in Christian counseling. And so I did all the work to get this PhD. And through that study, I did my thesis. And you're, many people know you have to write a thesis to get a PhD. And when I got my thesis done, I was just talking about it. And one of the people said, hey, can I look at it? And I said, man, you got to get this published. So I sent it off through some help of some different writers. It got published, got published through Amazon. And now it's on the Amazon world. And so to be able to do a book on helping people with a starving soul. And that's the thesis that I want to point out is that many people struggle in their life because they starve their soul. And I think me and you talked about this earlier. We have, mm-hmm. we do an illustration, I do an illustration one way and you do the illustration the exact same way with a flip. So I, so I like the about- word you use starving, yes. right? What do you mean by starving? Cause you know, we just talked about that illustration. I use it sometimes in the physical sense. You're talking about it in the mental sense. What do you mean by that? So the average person does not feed their soul. We understand that if you do not feed your body, and we're not just talking food. You not feed your body with the proper nutrition. Your body will starve. You know, That's you true. can eat ding-dongs all day long. You will not have good health. You'll be full. I don't recommend it. I don't recommend yeah, eating ding-dongs. I don't recommend it. I am part of the man I am today. A large part of the man I am today because of Hostess Twinkies. I would highly recommend <laughs> not that diet. It's not a good diet. It's probably part of the reason I had many health problems when I was younger. But... A starving soul happens because people don't feed their soul. So we understand that when we see someone not feed their body, they're going to have these diseases. Psalm 103 talks about that the Lord heals all these diseases. And when I read that verse, uh, when I first thought it, I thought it meant the body. But if Mm -hmm. you read that verse, it means more than the body. It actually means the heart, the mind, and the soul. 
And so he said, well, what does it mean by that? Well, it means that there's a way to feed your soul. Your soul needs to be fed through music. Your soul needs to be fed through communion with God. Your soul needs to be fed through relationship with people. We've often heard said that when people go into nursing homes or assisted living care, that many times their health deteriorates because people don't visit them and people don't understand how isolation affects us. Now, when COVID happened, people got it. Think this one of the, there's not very many blessings of COVID, but people figured out during COVID, man, I need people and I need friendships and I need relationships. And so I wrote a book about this is the world that we have. People's souls are starving. What do they need? They're filling their soul with junk. They're filling mm-hmm. their soul with things that don't fill. Uh, I remember I listened to one of your podcasts. You talked about pornography being an issue that you are very passionate against. I really speak a lot on that. I teach a lot of young people. I do conferences on it, how people are filling their minds with junk like this. And it rewrites your brain, your soul, your mind to think differently about life. And the same thing happens with all of this stuff. So if you fill your mind with violence every single night, you fill your mind with anger, you watch shows, you read books that have this thought process in it, it will change your world. I talked about 200 years ago, the top books in America, right, were The Scarlet Letter, Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities, and the top music was Handel's Messiah and Beethoven. Those were the top things, right? And then I compared them to the top charts of music and today. today. I don't even want to know. Oh, and and, and, and we, no, no. I said, and listen, if you compare it, and I understand people can have different music taste if you want or reading taste, but understand if you put junk in, it will make junk out. And so people want to know why is my mind so a mess? Why am I depressed? Well, if you listen to the song, You Ain't Nothing But a Hound Dog, every single day on repeat, don't be shocked if you don't believe you ain't nothing but a hound dog. If you sit there and go, well, I'm going to listen to Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Which was blind, but now I see. And if you compare those two and you put which one you put on repeat will affect your soul. So in the book, I talk about and I compare, and most people know what anorexia is. Most people know what bulimia is. I said, well, you know what that looks like on the physical side? Well, let's look at what happens if you do anorexia to your soul, a person who just starves their soul. Let's look at if you do bulimia, someone who, we know what bulimia does when someone eats food and then they regurgitate the food up, but they don't keep any of the nutrition. Well, let's look at someone does that with information. We've all done that for tests. How many have done that? The cram study. Oh, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I've been talking to people about this that we, we our education system, you know nothing. You walk out learning nothing because you only yes. remember it for the test. And that, as in, we have created a world where we have a bunch of useful idiots, and I'm not trying to be mean, <laughs> useful idiots full of, of very little knowledge and even less wisdom. And so the mm. Bible says wisdom is the principal thing. Go get it. My son, attend unto my words, heed wisdom. And, and where does wisdom need- start? Wisdom starts from the word of God and it starts Mm. from God alone giving it to us. And we've changed that view to now say, well, you know what I'd really like? I want it easy. I just want to be happy. I want to be comfortable. Comfortable. I love it. I I talk about, you know, there was a uh, World War II vet told to me this way. He said, the difference between my generation and your generation 
can be summed up in this. My generation believed in duty and honor, right and wrong. He said, your generation believes in fun and boring. He said, that's the character. He said, if it's fun, we'll do it. If it's boring, we're out. He said, my generation, we believe in right and wrong, honor and duty. He said, your generation, it's fun and boring. And does it make me happy or does it make me sad? He said, there's a lot of things that make me sad that are my duty. Mm. He said, there's a lot of things that are right that I don't feel like doing that are boring. He said, we have to get back. You have to get this generation to focus on what is right. That's what I have to do. You know what's difficult? And what's difficult? It's, I was reading a lot of statistics today about our need to follow the crowd and Mm -hmm. I kind of it's I don't even know what it's called herd mentality it's whatever yeah. if there's a crowd doing it we will gladly follow we trust the crowd because that seems to be the right decision and mm-hmm. it's unfortunate because if the crowd's doing the wrong thing yes. guess what we're going to do the wrong yep. thing yeah cognitive dissonance is a great thing that most people don't understand which is cognitive dissonance where you hear two opposing facts and you believed one and now you have to look at another and so most people, the problem is, is that they go with the one they once believed, even though they have overwhelming information that their previous ideals were wrong. Mm-hmm. And they, they talk about the um, um, 12 men. I think it's, uh, I can't remember the name of the book. It's a book about uh, during World War II, how they took normal men and they brought them and they did terrible, heinous things. And they said, how could they do these things? They said, because they were following the crowd. They were normal men who were all doing it. They would never do these things. But because they were taken away from their normal environment, they then followed along. Like, well, I, I guess this is right. And where is the people who will stand up and do what is right, even if it means doing it alone? Mm-hmm. And going back to filling our mind with junk as well. Mm-hmm. This was a scary statistic I read today. You know, the, have you ever heard of the show 13 Reasons Why? Um, it's on yes. Netflix, a, a suicide show. Yes. So mm-hmm. turns out, and this is the scary statistic, but it's also what happens when you fill your mind with junk. When that show was released, a month after, national suicides in the States went up by 30%. I have heard that. I actually went and I do camps in the summer and I help young people. And the camp I went to that following summer said, we need you to do suicide prevention as one of your sessions. And I got up. I have it in my Bible right here on my left. I have a note from one of the young people who said, I was planning on committing suicide on Saturday night. Wow. Because they got into that world of, this is, I have reasons to be unhappy. So the only way to find happiness is to end the pain. But not understanding joy comes many times through suffering. Talk Just to like what you were talking ever, about before. Yep. Talk to anyone who's ever given birth. Joy comes in the morning. It comes afterwards. I watched my wife give birth to three beautiful children, Stephen, Eli, and Glorianne. Wonderful kids. Thank God they take more after Oh, you mother. named them, you named one after me. Thank you. Do, listen, what can I say? What can I say? It's just it's square <laughs> works. And, uh, you know... All three of my kids, my wife, it was the most miserable experience giving birth, and then the baby's born. Mm. And she said, worth it. Each time. Worth it. Worth it. So, yeah. It's amazing. So, how would you recommend 
we can change the stuff that we're putting in that we are constantly ingesting, not just physically, but mentally. Yes. I think it is just like most people understand the workout world and they understand it, even if they aren't a part of it. They understand the value of if I want to be healthy, truly, I have to change what I eat, I have to change what I do, and I have to change how I think. And most people, if they really think about it, they understand it's not a it's not a mind issue, it's not a knowledge issue, it's a heart issue. The reason I used to eat 10 Oreos and a glass of milk every night wasn't because I didn't know that Oreos were not healthy. No one ever told me. It wasn't that. It was simply the fact that I like the taste of Oreos. And so there came a moment. Yeah, Oreos are awesome, man. Double stuff all the way. (laughs) I haven't had one in a long time. I had to change that world. And there came a moment where you had to sit there and realize, I have to be intentional. So what am I watching? You know, someone said this to me once. You'll be the same person you are today, 10 years from now, with the exception of what you watch who your friends are, the music you listen to, and the person you marry. And I believe that. And so I find out, listen, so you're sitting there and you're, you feel depressed all the time. What shows are you watching? Are, are, are you watching the Netflix special on suicide? Are you watching a show where everyone's always depressed? You know, are, are you, are you you're, you're struggle telling the truth. Are you reading books about lying? Well, I'm not reading books about lying. Well, check your book. Is the character of the book always fibbing? always doing these things. I have trouble. Uh, I don't love my wife. Well, are you listening to music that talks about other people's spouses in ways that you wouldn't think, you wouldn't, you wouldn't like it if someone else talked about your wife that way? Are you looking at pornography? Looking at those worlds and sitting there going, what am I consuming for my soul? If I'm consuming this in my soul, what's going to come out of it? If I want to get healthy, you know, I got to work out. I got to ride my bike. Bike riding for me, I have to do it. I have to eat healthy food. I have to choose these things. Same thing with the soul. So if, I'm, if I know that I'm dealing with depression and, it's because, and I'm, I realize I listen to music and then I feel depressed an hour later. Well, mm-hmm. let's go look at the playlist and see what's on the playlist. Maybe I need to play Happiness Is to Know the Savior. <laughs> Maybe I need to play Amazing Grace. Maybe, you know, there's a great value in picking the music, picking, being intentional. Most people are scroll freaks. They sit there and they, they turn their phone on. They just flip through TikTok. Well, it's such an addictive algorithm. Oh, it, and it is. It, it, I love the word that you use, the word addictive. People are addicted Definitely. to this stuff. They're fully addicted. They don't understand the dopamine hits. And we don't have time to go through all that. I recommend uh, Dr. Caroline Leaf cleaning up your mental mess. She does a great job walking through that world of the addiction of social media. But people don't get that they are addicted to this world. And they're addicted to a false world that does not exist. So if you're mm-hmm. always depressed, maybe sh- maybe limit your social media to an hour a day. Maybe limit your social media to an hour a week, an hour a month. Stop sitting there going, okay, that, that doesn't work. Instead of reading the newest, hottest book out there, maybe find an old classic where the morals of the story was good, good prevails, right succeeds, honesty, integrity. Pick wow. up the Bible, do daily devotions, pray, go to church. Find connection with other people of faith. Man, that makes a difference. It really does. You know what's crazy is my my wife and I have read, um, we're, I can say we're avid readers, mm-hmm. but the books we read, when you compare them with today's books written with books from 200 years ago, for example, mm-hmm. 
Well, I'm, um, she's reading The Count of Monte Cristo. I'm not sure if oh, you've ever read it. Beautiful my, book. One of my favorites of all My favorite time. book. My favorite book. book. But now, if you read that and you compare it with anything you read today, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever noticed in, in The Count of Monte Cristo, how often do they talk about God, about providence, yes. about, about his wisdom and his will being done regardless of what us humans do, whereas yes. books today have no such, no such message anywhere in that book. Yeah, the Count of Monte Cristo, and it's a great book to speak about, all about the redemptive nature of a man who tries revenge and at the end of it finds no joy in the revenge. And he spends and his read, life, his life and, and doing you, it. And he spends his whole life, instead of you know, taking the money and living a good, happy life as the priest tries to get him to do, <laughs> he instead, I'm going to do it for revenge. I'm going to do it to get even. And then he ends up a prisoner. Regretting it. A prisoner of the life he lost. He spent the years he could have had back a prisoner in the same spot. It's a very, I love that book for that reason. It's one of my favorite. I bought it for my son last year for Christmas and he's sitting there reading it. It's so great. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And if, you, and if you can get those books where they then, they talk about the value of God. They talk about the relationships there. And they, they, have, they have actual valuable friendships in their relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up reading C.S. Lewis and the, you know, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe series, um, J.R.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, and then, you know, Charles Dickens. My goodness, man, The Christmas Carol. What a great, deep theological viewpoint from a non-theologian. As the book, it doesn't, it's not a religious book by any nature, but it gets the viewpoint to people to think, hey, what happens at the end of my life? Mm-hmm. And gets people to focus on the view. So I love it. I think reading is a lost art in our world today. Or let me rephrase that. Reading good books. A lot of people read, but they don't read good books. They want easy books. They want fun books. Those are the things they look for. So. Well, that's how our society is built. So speaking of books, where can we find yours? The easiest place to find my book is on Amazon. And so um, you can look on Amazon, Helping a Starving Soul. In fact, I'm willing to do something for you guys if you want to do it. Um, oh, nice. What is I'm it? Will- I'm willing to give away one of my books today to one of your one of your listeners or one of your group for free just as a way to say help. I, as I told people before, when you write a book, uh, someone told us once, writing a book is profitable, but not for the way most people think. Most books never make money. My book will never make money. But my book is profitable for me that it's helped me and it helps other people along the way. And it's profitable to the kingdom of God. And that's the goal of it. Because when you look at how many hours you spend editing and writing a book, it's miserable. You, you make like pennies for the hour. It's, it's terrible. It's a terrible, it's not a way to make money. Some people say, mm-hmm. I'm going to write a book and become rich. Unless you are J.K. Rowling, not happening, okay? Uh, most people are going to be writing. You're going to be, you're doing it for the profitable reason of helping her. So I will send someone a book for free. I don't know what contest you want to do, how you want to set it up. I leave that to you, my friend. Uh, but I am willing to do it today as just a way to say, be a help to people so that people can grow their soul, grow their mind. So this way their soul will not be starved. It will be thriving. Uh, the last chapter of the book is the sturdy soul. And I talk about that, that the world needs more people who are saintly and sturdy, who other mm-hmm. people can lean on. And they, we can only get more of those by people choosing to make these decisions. So I think 
there it is. I leave it to you. I don't know what you want to do with it, but there it is, my friend. We'll, we'll figure it out. Don't worry. I'm so thankful that you were able to actually do that. And I'm sure whoever does end up getting that book is going to be thrilled. And I'm very, very thankful that you were able to join us today. This was a really rich and fruitful conversation. And I'd love to have you again if you would ever want to uh, discuss the, let's say, the mental health benefits of exercise. I would love to discuss it. That would be a very fun topic. And I do think that it is a missing key in our world today to understanding how much the mind, soul, and body, the triune part of us, we, we believe, most of us who are Christians believe in the trinity of God, and we were made in God's image. We misunderstand that we are also a triune being, and we mm-hmm. have these three parts, and they are is interconnected, and no one gets it. The value no of that, well, I'd say no one gets it. Most people don't get it. And they don't get the value that's there. And then, oh, it is, yes. I would love to. It would be a super fun conversation. And maybe awesome. then I'll tell you my car wash illustration so you and your listeners can yeah, laugh. Yeah, we could start off. off like that. We'll start off the episode with your car wash illustration. Uh, whatever, whatever we awesome. can make happen, my friend. Awesome. Thank you, Joe. Pastor Joe. And for those listening, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And we'll catch you next time on the Healthy Christian Project. Mm-hmm.